Welcome back, everyone, to the Hitchcock Minute, where each and every week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock-directed thriller, North by Northwest, one minute of screen time each and every episode. And this week, you've got hosts from The Wilder Ride. I'm Alan Sanders. And I'm Walt Murray. And Walt, this is uh, one of those movies where it does not it does not wait to get started. It has been no. nonstop dialogue the minute Cary Grant's on screen. And this dialogue's like a machine gun. Uh, it, it is. It's nonstop. It literally is every second of this of this minute we're, we're listening to something that, that's worth talking about. So we've dealt with this in some of the other movies that we've done. How much of this do you think was improv and how much of this do you think was scripted? You know, I never went to go pull the script itself. I know this is a, a Jim O'Kane you know he's the mastermind behind right. all this. He's we're this we're on the end of these we're strings. The yes. Yeah, if you look above <laughs> us, there's Jim O'Kane going. Look at these simpletons doing all the work. I get all the credit; they do all the work. No, he's not. Actually, the amount of work Jim did for oh us pre-production gosh, wise, he he actually. I sent him a note. I said, you know, you know how we get a lot of compliments in all of us that in the movies by minutes about. Oh, look how much detail. Look how much. You made me feel like we've never researched a movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> He's given us everything. I said, Jim, all you needed to do was just record the episodes now. You've done everything else. I would say that Jim O'Kane has done more research on this movie than anybody else has ever done on this movie. <laughs> Save for Hitchcock himself, maybe. I don't even think so. <laughs> I think he's done more. Well, let's go ahead and remind everybody here we are at the start of this. We are continuing the conversation where Roger Thornhill is dictating to his secretary when last we left yesterday, uh, she reminded him that he had already sent a note to his darling Gretchen saying, darling, I count the days, the hours. And she goes, no, 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 no. You sent that one last time. So he goes, okay, well then put something for your sweet tooth, baby. And that's where we ended. So we pick right up where we left off with. And all your other sweet parts. And all your other sweet parts. (laughs) Would that work? If you uh, sent that to your missus, Walt? I'd get an eye roll. (laughs) If a box of chocolate showed up with a little note that said, something for your sweet tooth baby and all your other sweet parts. First of all, where else do you put the chocolate? (laughs) It's it's for your sweet tooth. I get that. It's for your mouth. And for your all, are you rubbing the places? Are you putting it? Where are you putting the chocolate, Walt? I was trying not to read too much into it, but... Obviously, some of us are. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking like him, I think. I mean, I think there's a bit of a little naughty innuendo. Oh, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. I think, I, I, I can't read it any other way. He's specifically saying, for your sweet tooth, baby. In other words, the candy you put in your mouth, you have a sweet tooth. And for all of your other sweet parts. And it's funny because if you look at television shows of the time, uh, you know, let's just say like Leave It to Beaver was sometime right around this, I would guess. The other shows, they're all like, there's nothing gritty. There's nothing, you know, there's no innuendo. Everybody, if you watch those shows, you'd think everybody in the 1950s was just wholesome and nice. <laughs> Nobody and, did anything with each other. No. The stork just magically the showed up with a child were when just you were barely due. born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what the stork brought, mommy. I never yeah. even knew you were pregnant, but I wasn't until the stork came. It's a miracle. We have separate beds. Yeah, the wise men keep coming. <laughs> the wise. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> More frankincense, gold, myrrh. I'm out of myrrh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, this reminds us that people is people is people. People are people. And uh, guys that are trying to be somewhat clever and maybe push just a bit of that innuendo, and it works. There are a lot of women that are, if they are attracted to a guy and you say something a little off color or a little, just a little hint of sexual innuendo, it, it, it works. It lets them know that you're 
you're in the game. Right. And you're yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very subtle, but it yes. For me, yeah. it's another it's another layer of his character. And it's telling us he's an all American red blooded male. He loves women. He's he he wants to wine them and dine them. I was gonna and say, yeah, even yeah. if some of their relationships might be superficial, it's still about enjoying the company of one another. That's right. He's not tweeting and texting. He's sending actual no. stuff to her door. Yeah. Well, and and it's interesting that you say that because now seeing some of the vapid crap that goes back and forth <laughs> between my daughters and their the guys who are interested in them. You can't say the word boyfriend, can you? <laughs> Potential suitors. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Hey, okay, we should remind everybody, if they haven't listened to any of our show, you've got three daughters, I've got four. Right. No sons between us. Right. We no. are surrounded by estrogen to the point where that's how we met. We said, right. please, dear God, let's do something that just the two of us, we, we were on getmeoutofthehouse.com and we hooked up to do this podcast. Wait, wait, wait. We didn't hook up. Whoa, whoa, Not whoa, whoa. Let me rephrase. Uh, uh, Your Honor, strike that. clarify. <laughs> you can fix that in post. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to fix that. <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, hey, some guys like to golf together. Some guys like to hunt together. Some guys like to fish together. There's a reason for that. You need, sometimes you need that That's kind right. of, you need the bond of another guy. Some of that camaraderie. That's right. And uh, so, so what do we do as the geeky nerds we are? We get into a studio <laughs> and talk about movies. <laughs> talking about movies from the 1950s. Hey, you want to do a podcast, man? <laughs> you had me at do you want. <laughs> well, hold on. Get out wait, of the house. Wait a minute. You were just, you know, okay, I, I start off with the naughty t- the innuendo and, and now it's you. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going minute. that direction. This is normally my area of expertise. <laughs> I feel like just whatever I say here is going to be taken the wrong way. It's like that Saturday Night Live sketch where they said if you put if you put the right you know the right tone on anything, anything is a sexual innuendo. Oh yes, you know like oh, bet she likes to climb those kind of trees. <laughs> what does that even mean? But if you say it that way, she's been down that street. Mm-hmm. Oh, she knows how to get the mail. <laughs> <laughs> you missed that bus. Yeah. Oh, you you know he's looking to shine those shoes. <laughs> Anything you say with the right innuendo, it's like, wait a minute, how am I all of a sudden hearing that as naughty? And right now, Jim's listening to this going, I've made a horrible mistake. (laughs) I've made a terrible, terrible mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Is it too late to record these episodes myself? This will end up being a one-minute episode (laughs) edited by Jim. We hear like the record needle scratch. Here comes Jim. I regret to inform you that the Wilder Ride is no longer part of the Hitchcock Minute. Due to better wisdom, they have been executed. Due to the sudden realization that I have hired morons, I have decided the only way to make this show better is to eliminate them. It'll just be that... That picture from uh, Monty Python where God's foot comes out and squashes two people. <laughs> we get the cartoon us getting... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know what we need to do? We need to get, like, pictures of ourselves, like, real pictures, and then cut the mouths out and do, like, the Monty Python thing. And then we'll, like, superimpose us talking about the movie. with a, And then the foot. <laughs> and, then, and then, boom. <laughs> yeah. Stomping out that error. Yeah. Now you're getting the real picture of what the Wilder Ride's like. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Jim. (laughs) All right. So he continues talking about all of our other sweet parts, and he finishes, and Maggie gives him a look of, like, really, all your other sweet parts? And he's like, I know, I know. So he recognizes how that's going to come across, what it's going to sound like. 
she knows what it's going to sound like. And but like, she's ah. also used to this. Right. Like she, you know, they've got that chemistry that she knows how he is and he knows what he can he can get away with, too. Yeah. Uh, Maggie points with her pencil and says, oh, could we take a cab, Mr. Thornhill? And he goes, what, for two blocks? And she says, well, you're late and I'm tired. And so here comes another crack. Remember yesterday he talked about, well, just put on your blood sugar. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, just step it up. Get the, get you, you know, start burning some calories. You'll start warming up. That's right. So he's like, you know, that's your trouble, Maggie. You don't eat properly. All right. Yeah. Taxi. Uh, now there's your trouble, Maggie. You don't eat properly. <laughs> so he's commenting on her diet or maybe lack of eating enough food. You know, I've been trying to put my finger on why this is a familiar relationship for a movie. You know who this really reminds me of? Mm. Is Bond and Money Penny. Money Penny. Fairbanks. Alaska. No, Bill Fairbanks, 002. Oh, poor Bill. I miss him. You know, the man with the golden gun didn't. Officially, that was never confirmed. Where was 002 when it happened? Beirut, 69. In a cabaret with a lady called Saida. Beirut. Hmm. Money Penny, you are better than a computer. In all sorts of ways. But you never take advantage of them. Particularly in the Roger Moore era. that They had that great back and forth between each other, that really solid give and take. That This definitely reminds me of that relationship. That calls back to when we opened up this week and I said this is sort of the precursor to the James Bond yeah. formula. So you, you, have, you definitely get that taste. Yeah. You, you just have to think that the Terrence Young, the director of Doctor of Doctor No, the very first Bond movie right. with Sean Connery, which by the way didn't even have the iconic open with the gun. It's a right. completely different because they didn't know if this was going to take off as a franchise. You have to think they were aware of this movie and that Hitchcock being British and of course Terrence Young, a British director, and they filmed James Bond. He's a, he's a yeah. British spy. That they had to have gotten a lot of ideas from that from this movie. And I told you that Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, the director said specifically of that one said the helicopter chase scene is a direct relation to the to the plane chase scene right. in this movie. So, hey, Alfred Hitchcock, thank you for giving us sort of the formula that James Bond movies are going to follow from this point forward. Yeah, and it's, and it's a great formula, yeah. needless to say. It, it is. You, you create a, a charming guy. Now, in, in the case of James Bond, you said it before, he has the training of MI6. He's got yeah, sure. all the tools, the gadgets. But it's still a suave character, quick on his feet, quick, quick mindset, quick with a joke. Knows how to woo, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has a great smile, great personality, and the villains all have sort of something charming about them. Even if they're dastardly, you know, they're still likable kind of on the surface. Sure. You've got the relationship between secretary and and and, and the, the main character. You've always got a love interest. You've got intrigue. You've yeah. got locations you're moving to. You're seeing things you've never seen usually in a movie, or at least in that person's life. They're going to these weird locations, so... Hey, exotic places like Lincoln's nose, like Lincoln's nose. (laughs) But you know what? The formula is there right in front of us. It does. And it works so well. Yeah. And and it becomes a very comfortable formula, but a a formula that we, you know, in the end, the good guy wins. But how the heck does he get there? Right. And and you have that tension getting there. So In, in fact, now, granted, the newer James Bonds, much bigger budgets, visual effects. You can do a lot that you couldn't do early on. But I would, because I got the the 25 disc set last year. My wife got me as the the collection of James Bond. I've been going through them. I bet if I were to watch this movie and then immediately put on Dr. No or immediately put on Diamonds Are Forever, some of the early first Bond flicks, you'd watch it and you'd go, holy crap, this feels like a Bond movie. It does. not Not the new ones. If you're younger, go back and watch some of the classic Bonds. This same pacing and structure 
it, it's it's hard to it's hard to not re- think that there was a huge amount learned from how this thriller was received because it was very well received by audiences. Oh, sure. Sure. And I mean, it's a, a, a movie that as a kid growing up in the 70s, I was familiar with. And um, so it does set a great tone for, you know, James Bond and other stuff that came behind it. So uh, and who knows, they were probably already playing around a little bit. And obviously, Ian Fleming had already written the James Bond novels. Oh, yeah. But, but if you if you've ever read any of the novels, the movies are paced in a completely different way than the books. Totally different. You're right. The books give you the premise, the plot, the the what the bad guy's up to. Right. And of course, some of the characters. But honestly, the way the movies are, uh, are that that sort of formula, that cookie, it, it is a cookie cutter. Sorry. Oh, it is. Yeah. But it, the reason why it works is because it worked here. Yeah. yeah. Someone goes, wait a minute. Audiences love that. It put them on that put us on the edge of our seat. We had no idea what was going to happen next. Yeah. And with Roger Moore, particularly there, it was a little bit more cheesy, but well, he went for more of a campy style of delivery, did. but he had and to be different than Sean Connery. Too. Yeah. And, and that was more popular in the time, but um, yeah, but you do, they, they set a, a, a good formula for it. And I, I think that uh, what are they probably is not the right way to say it, but uh theft is, is a, oh, you know, a they compliment. say imitation is the highest form of yeah. uh, flattery. That's yeah. I think yeah. they, uh, by the way, when I said that it was well-received, if you are a fan of the Tomato Meter, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave North by Northwest a oh, combined wow. critic score, 99, a near perfect score. That's, that's Everyone giving it a good thumbs up. I will read you what the New Yorker at the time said. The only bad review of the critics, uh, North by Northwest, said a hopelessly attenuated round of mistaken identity, cloak and dagger doings, sympathetic but helpless friendly agents, a double dealing woman, and so forth. I know that's awesome. <laughs> it's like, wait, you like, just described every James Bond that, that's plot a right great there. Review <laughs> that's, that should be an, a thumbs up. But uh, some of the some of the other folks, like Holly Re- Reporter, said Hitchcock is such a master master of suspense that not many frames have passed before the audience has achieved complete identification with the characters and is knowing the thrill of vicarious fear and the shared pleasures of love and passion. That's exactly what we've already started yeah, saying. Absolutely. Very quickly, we start identifying with the character, and uh, also. Nearly getting killed never looked like so much fun. <laughs> and as the template for a certain kind of old school confection, Cold War, wrong man, it's unbeatable. So there you Interesting. are. Yeah. And audiences, by the way, the tomato meter, uh, you know how they have the conglomerate score of critics, but the audience score out of 79,572 people gives it a score of 94 out of 100. And remember, that's not the audience when it came out. This no. is a contemporary audience right. rating. Oh, you're saying, now. wait, Rotten Tomatoes wasn't available in 1959? Uh, it was, but you had to, to write in on a card. <laughs> you had to send in on a, on a cereal box top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had it out of Cracker Jacks. Yeah. And- Life cereal brought to you by North by Northwest. When you don't know what's happening to you, start your day with life. Don't get yelled at like his secretary for not having the right blood sugar. Eat life. Yeah. Now, if they had thrown some, you know, some of those ads in, he'd have said, "You need to eat more cream of wheat." <laughs> he would have turned around and help your blood sugar. What you need is a diet coke. Oh, they didn't even have diet coke. No, they didn't back have then. diet coke. No, at Here, that time, smoke been, a Marlboro. Yeah. <laughs> What you're lacking is a Marlboro. <laughs> Nine out of ten doctors that tried women went back to camels. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I swear the funniest thing if you've never if you've never pulled this up talking about how advertising because this guy we get here in a minute he's going to talk about being an ad agent and how there are no lies. Right. But if you have never seen the classic cartoon, uh, the the Flintstones selling cigarettes. Oh, it is great. It's a black and Fantastic. white. It is it is a cartoon. It is not. <gasps> it is Barney and Fred. Talking about the women are inside working. Well, what do we want to do? Well, we can go out back and smoke. <laughs> we'll go blaze one. Let's go. Let's go blaze a couple of smokes while the women are doing the housework. They sure work hard, don't they, Barney? Yeah. I hate to see them work so hard. Yeah, me too. Um, let's go around back. Well, we can't see them. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Winston is the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. Winston's got that filter blend. Yeah, Fred. Filter blend makes the big taste difference, and only Winston has it up front where it counts. Here, ahead of the pure white filter, Winston packs rich tobaccos specially selected and specially processed for good flavor in filter smoking. Yeah, Barney, Winston tastes good like a cigarette chug. Uh, yeah, that's we've we've definitely come a long we way. Have come a long way. <laughs> we have come a long way. All right, let's get into uh, more of the dialogue here. Uh, as as they get in the car and she gives him that that look and he apologetically says, "I know, I know." As he says to her, "You don't eat properly." He's like, "All right, taxi." And I love this. I mean, we've seen it in hundreds of movies, but this is probably the one that set that benchmark. I don't think so. There's a guy already getting into his cab. And so here comes the quick-thinking, fast-talking advertising agent, Roger Thornhill. I beg your pardon. I have a very sick woman here. You don't mind, do you? Well, no. Thank I mean, uh, perfectly all right. Who basically pushes his way and he goes, I'm sorry, we have a sick woman here. You don't mind, do you? <laughs> what are you going to say? No. Yeah, I want to be here. I want to be a cold-hearted jackass. <laughs> He's like, sorry, sick woman here. Well, okay, so when you watch this, like, you should be mad at him. You should be like, what a jerk. I can't believe he did that. But I didn't even feel that at all. Like, <laughs> no. I was like, oh, well. That's... Because it's clever and funny, and you're yeah. like, who, who who's going to say no? Right. Who's going to say no? And he even says here in just a second, well, he'll feel better about himself because he helps somebody. Right. So I'm really doing him a favor. And honestly, it's a twofer because he's doing himself a favor because he's late, but he's doing her a favor because she's tired That's and right. cold. And he's like, all oh, right, we'll take a cab. Yeah. And she and, obviously doesn't have walking shoes on. No, no. Why would you have? Well, not for the kind of fast pace they're doing. Mm, no. Hey, this guy's doing almost that uh, Dr. Detroit sort of power walking. That's right. So basically the guy's like, sure, no problem. He's like, thank you so much. They get in, shut the door. Perfectly all right, says the man who's like, I, I guess I don't have a choice. I'll get another cab. And then uh, we're inside the cab, and suddenly we get that typical, this time of Hollywood, you realize that they're not in an actual moving car. They're projecting right. behind them on a screen. <laughs> right. And all the driving scenes look painfully bad that way. They are terrible. You can't help it. That was considered cutting edge that time. That right. was like the lead. Like, oh my gosh, look, they're in the car. Look at all the people around them. Like, no, they're just, they're just projecting on a screen behind them. They're sitting inside a, a, a studio inside a car. Yeah, and you just kind of accepted the fact that, hey, I'm watching a movie. You know, yeah, I, I look past it. James Bond, the first we're talking about James Bond, some of those early car chases, almost everything principal photography where they have Sean Connery, it's all projected. Oh, yeah. And they did a pretty good job matching the stunt driver when they were showing real scenes of driving on the on the street. So that way you didn't see his face. It's just, well, there goes the car. Now we cut inside and there's Sean Connery with the projected 
our eyes are so used to seeing real now, right. real life, we can tell when we're seeing projection versus real. Back then, though, a lot of audiences, they thought that was cutting edge or that was like real. Holy crap. Sean yeah. Connery's doing his own stunt driving. Right. And even when he isn't, even when you know it's a stuntman or mm-hmm. whatever, like at that time, you just kind of went, oh, yeah, well, you know. And for our friends coming up later in from uh, the other Movies by Minutes collaborators, hopefully they'll talk about that with his uh, being forced to drive home drunk from oh, yeah. the, the house early right. in the movie. Uh, because that was shot pretty interestingly as well. We know it's projected, but Cary Grant doing a great job trying to simulate what was happening, not knowing. I mean, he has to just accept that the director's like, okay, this is where now you're going to be suddenly making a sudden right turn. And this is where someone comes out at the, and you have to make a sudden left turn. He didn't know. He's just yeah. reacting to direction, and hopefully the editor made it all work. And I think they did a great job with it. So, yeah, I think so too. Now, I know that's not our minutes, but we're talking about it now because we get in the cab and he tells the cab driver, uh, he says to him, he says, um, first stop the plaza, don't throw the flag. First stop the plaza and don't throw the flag, which we don't have this today. First of all, we have Uber for almost everybody that's right. listening. But back then, it was one charge if you had a you by yourself in the car. But if you brought a passenger, you'd get flagged for an extra surcharge for two people being in the car at the same uh, time. Huh. And he's basically like, no, she's just coming along for a minute, so don't don't, don't charge me for her. You know, it's, it's just about me. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. And it's interesting. You know, a, a contemporary audience would have known exactly what they were talking about. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. And this would happen a lot if you had just, if you needed a very short ride. If, let's say, you were going to the grocery store and you lived in a place like New York. And you were like, well, look, 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 don't no surcharge. It's just three blocks. OK, don't throw the flag. Right. You know, uh, it's basically a way of saying, cut me a break. OK, we're not going very far. You know, I'm going to be in out done. Right. Right. And again, a different time where cabs were thinking, OK, we'll, we'll be good, you know, because we yeah. want you to use us again. Well, and I wonder, too, how often they would have just handed them cash and the driver pockets it instead of, you know, running it off the meter. I don't know. You get really quiet when you decide to do that. I can barely. No. <laughs> So I wonder how many times, is that better? That's better. <laughs> so so I wonder if it was a situation where if you don't throw the flag, you're going a short distance, you pay cash, the driver pockets it, and it doesn't run on the meter. I'm assuming any cash business, there's some of that that will always go on. Oh, no. <laughs> just ask, no. Even today, just ask your typical server. They would prefer <laughs> cash tips versus putting it, which I, I don't carry cash anymore, so I put the little tip on my charge slip at the end. Those all get recorded and reported, so that's exactly what you got tipped. But if you leave somebody a $20 bill, they can literally put down that you left them a $2 tip. Or zero. Or zero. Ah, stiffed me. <laughs> yeah, I used to work as a pizza delivery guy, and I've worked as a waiter, so I always try to carry cash. My oldest daughter, who, by the way, didn't want to wait tables through most of college, and I kept saying, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. At the flexible schedule. I mean, why do you think all actors are actually, that want to be actors, oh. wait tables? Because of the flexibility. Yeah. So she graduated, and in her senior year, she got into bartending. Loved it. And I, I kind of am jealous because I've always said, when I get to the end of my career, career days, I've always wanted to own a bar where I don't necessarily serve if I, if I don't want to, but just to own a bar. I think that'd be yeah. so cool. So she started bartending and she goes, I love it. It's so easy. You just have to keep filling people's drinks and you get so much money. Yeah. Well, she uh, after graduating, she's going to go to graduate school and she's taking a year to kind of build up her finances, pay off some debts. She got a job at a, a higher higher end restaurant, but she went there first to be a bartender. And they said, well, you can't be a bartender without knowing how to wait tables first. You need to know every in and out of the business before you get to be the bartender. So she's doing both. There's some nights she comes home and she goes, Dad, guess what? $200 yeah. just in tips. Crazy. One night. Crazy. It's like, geez, I should be a bartender. I should I should go wait tables. Yeah. 
Better than podcasting. Well, no, not better. Not better. <laughs> Make more money. Yeah. We're, we're sitting in a studio, not dealing with the general That's true. Public. We don't have to deal with the public. <laughs> so, I just got to do it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, there are those, there are definitely some of those jobs that you can uh, do really, really so, well. And that's, that's a whole side discussion that I'm throwing the flag. Yeah. <laughs> don't throw the flag. Don't throw the flag. Uh, so then it continues on. Of course, Maggie, the secretary, is saying, oh, poor man, as if the poor guy that they just stiffed out of the riot. He's like, oh, come, come, come. Oh, come, come, come. I mean, I'm a happy man. I made him feel like a good Samaritan. You knew you were lying. Is that the advertising executive coming out or uh, what? Absolutely. Look, absolutely. I, this, this is how you sell it. It's the justification. Right. Look, I've made him feel like he's the greatest person on earth. I gave up a cab to a sick woman. And then she, Maggie, is a real earthy person. Like, she's really the down-to-earth. She's his she voice of it. reason, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. She's his, She's his. Um, the angel on this shoulder. You know, she's yes. like the superego going, absolutely. okay, you might listen to the id over here, the little devil, but uh, I'm going to be the other one kind of being yeah. the counterpoint. And again, it's kind of that money penny. Exactly. Yeah, don't try to con me, James. Right. Don't con a con artist. Right. I can see right through you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she says to him, oh, he knew you were lying. <laughs> this is a great line that follows because it, it sums up what the advertising world is all about. No question. He says, Maggie. Maggie, in the world of advertising, there's no such thing as a lie. There's only the expedient exaggeration. You ought to know that. <laughs> I got to tell my wife that. You told me you were going to take out the trash. What a lie. No, 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 no. I There are no lies, just expedient exaggeration. When I said I was going to take it out, I was never specific when. Yeah, I, I may have to put this on my business card. Well, as a private detective, <laughs> remember, there is no such thing as a lie. Private detectives. Just expedient exaggeration. You told me it would only cost me $100 a night for surveillance. Well, that was an expedient exaggeration. Yeah, wasn't expecting your husband to go to a very expensive restaurant and a strip club. You get really soft every time you do that. I'm speaking under my breath here. Oh, for sure obvious right. reasons. I'm sure it'll be all right. So uh, they continue on. He's looking through the paper. Say, do I look heaviest to you? What? I feel heaviest. Put a note on my desk in the morning. Think thin. That's a weird way to have a conversation after seeing something in the paper. Because she goes, what? He goes, you know, heavyish. Put a note on my desk. Think thin. Have you seen him? This guy's not thick at all. I know. His mind is a whirling dervish. <laughs> he's, he's talking about ADD before there was such a thing. Yeah, no kidding. So is, there must have been some article he happened to glance at a title about, are you fatter than you need to be? Or have you not eaten right? Whatever. I don't know what he saw. Yeah. But he's like, do I look heavyish to you? Yeah. Heavyish? And, and the funny thing is, like, his solution to it is not, I guess I'll go to the gym on the way home. Hmm. His solution is, hey, put a note on my desk tomorrow that says think thin. But think about that. It follows right on the line of being an advertising agent. Yeah. It's not about a lie. It's about expedient exaggeration. That's right. I'm not fat. I just have to think thin. It's the perception. Exactly. If I convince myself that that's the truth, then how do I know that it's not the that's truth? That's right. I've been thinking fat all day. I'm yeah. thinking thin tomorrow. <laughs> I've been thinking you're right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's not a whole lot of thought with that with me. Look, it's great during the winter. You can just kind of cuddle up. Oh, yeah. Why, why am I saying that to you? What is going on with Walking me? Walking around in shorts in 42-degree weather. That's my advantage. <laughs> you are. You do. You're that guy. You are that guy. I am guy. that guy. Hey, come on, kids. Let's go build a snowman. Dad, don't you want I am dressed. I've got a jacket and shorts. <laughs> That's right. Got a sweatshirt. I put my come boots on. on. <laughs> I have a hat. 
It's a baseball hat, but I got a hat. You are that guy. You probably rarely feel cold when it's cold outside. Oh, never, never. Very rarely. It has to be really cold. See, I'm the dummy who, when I was a kid in Detroit, got it was too oh, cool. I remember you telling me too this. cool yeah. to put gloves on to go shovel snow, and I got minor frostbite. Which basically what that means is your capillaries freeze. Yeah. When I mean, you know what happens, they die. Yes, <laughs> you don't they get do. those back. So I have less than stellar circulation in the tips of my fingers and the tips of my toes. For the rest of my life. Woohoo! Yeah. Well thinking, you smart ass <laughs> dummy. <laughs> you dumb ass smarty. No, whatever it is. Wait, you moron. Moron. I did. I I'm I tell my kids all the time, like, don't, don't do what I did. Yeah. I was too cool to put gloves on. Just don't make those mistakes that are gonna cost yeah. you something the rest and of your life. And now I feel like a wuss. If it gets down to like forty even, forty five degrees outside, if I haven't talked about eating a tea, this conversation, if I don't have food in me that's processing for body heat. If I'm hungry, if I've drink, if I had like two or three cups of coffee where the caffeine's pulling my, right. my you know, the capillaries closed, my fingers go white, like yellow. They look like dead fingers. That's crazy. Yeah. All the blood. It's like, oh, well, rush to the, rush to the organs. He doesn't need his fingers. Dumbass didn't need his fingers. Apparently when he was shoveling. Yes. He doesn't need them now. So let's go. Uh, yeah. He, I think this is all, all, this is an extenuation of him not only saying what the advertising world is all about, he actually believes it. If I just think thin, I won't feel heavy. That's right. It has to work. <laughs> she actually writes down, think thin. <laughs> Taking the note. Think thin. Better make it a 59th Street entrance, driver. Okay. I, I, I couldn't figure out, does that mean he wants to be a block closer or a block further away for the extra walk? Because I couldn't, because he's talking about being heavy and think thin. Is he maybe saying, well, maybe just in case, drop me off a block beforehand. I just think his mind jumps from subject to subject really fast. But he says, better make it, as if like it's an afterthought. Like, well, now we're talking yeah, about no, this. I, I think now he's thinking, okay, what's my best way to enter the... Okay, well, well, how did you hear it? Did you hear it as drop me off closer then to where I wanted to go or further from where I wanted to go? I took it as a different entrance than he may have been than may have been the regular entrance that he would have gone. Because to. all he says is first stop the plaza. Yeah, I have no idea. And then, then he goes, better make it the 59th Street entrance driver. Maybe you're right. The plaza might be right there, but he wants to be on a particular side of the building. Yeah. But for some reason, and and I'm, I'm and by the way. in the traffic that time of day. I don't know New York well enough to. to and I'm going to say this, by the way, the rest of you movies by, miss, by movies by minutes listeners, I don't pretend to know everything. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what popped in my head. It very well could be that he just meant, I want to go in that side of the building. Right. That's kind of Maybe what I was assuming. Maybe side closer to the Oak Room, which he said he was going to to have a couple of martinis before right. meeting mom for dinner and then and then the theater. So it's entirely possible that that's the entrance he means, but I can't help it. He just got done saying, I need to think thin. Drop me off at the 59th Street entrance. Is that because he wants to walk an extra block to convince himself? Hey, there we go. Now I'm a little bit thinner. Yeah, I- I, I didn't really think of it that way. I mean, maybe, but... Um, and it doesn't really matter one way or the other. It's yeah. just how I heard it watching the movie. Well, and just seeing his, seeing how he jumps from subject to subject to subject so fast, I just figured he was on to something else. Mm. And then he does say, which we get to here about, don't forget when you get back to the office, call my mother, remind her, we've got those theater tickets tonight, dinner at 21, 7 o'clock, so that's the name of the restaurant, 21, uh, I'll have had two martinis at the Oak Bar, so she needn't bother to sniff my breath. <laughs> you, in an instant, we've got a judging mother already. Yes, absolutely. Like, just go ahead and tell her I've already had two drinks. You don't need to ask me. Have you been drinking? Yes. Yes, mother. Every night. 
Thanks mother! to you. Funny. It's all on you. <laughs> it goes back to Psycho, the overbearing, yeah, controlling mother. weird, controlling mother I wonder, mother wonder what happened to poor Alfred uh, when his childhood. That's exactly what I was thinking. An over-controlling mother. Uh, it does end with Maggie saying, oh, she doesn't do that. Oh, yes, she does. Yeah, she does. <laughs> we'll find out yeah, a whole lot about Maggie. Not about Maggie. We'll find out a whole lot about his mom yes. in the first, I guess, uh, in the first act of this movie. Yes, we will. All right. And that's going to wrap up uh, minute number four of North by Northwest. We continue still in the cab. He's having this conversation. We will continue in the cab. But before we let everybody know what's coming up tomorrow, Friday, for this first, at the end of the first full week of the Hitchcock Minute, Walt, anything else we uh, need to hit? No. I just, I like this relationship between the two of them. Um, and shows us a lot about his personality and character. And, yeah. Um, good, really good way of setting the tone and pace for the movie. And I think what's good is it's so much dialogue and it's so fast. Like you said, sort of that machine gun fire. We're getting a lot of it just hit us, and it doesn't feel like it's dragging. It doesn't no, feel like, oh, my God, stop talking. It feels like all of this is worth listening to. Yes, it does. And and the way they said it, putting it in the cab, you feel like you're right along there for the ride. You're in the conversation. And, um, yeah, so I, I, re- I really like it and uh, look forward to see where it goes. All right, before we call it, uh, call it finite for today, Tell everybody where they can find us if they're interested in hearing a little bit more about us talk. Well, about whatever we talk about. Us talk. Us talk good. <laughs> us good or talk beer without. Yeah, go find us out on any podcatcher at The Wilder Ride. Just uh, search for The Wilder Ride. Uh, also on our website, www.thewilderride.com. You're Bastard. welcome, Alan. <laughs> or on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com slash The Wilder Ride. And from there, you can join our listeners group. Uh, you'll just be asked three quick questions to make sure you're not a, a bot of some kind. And, um, yeah, then you can find out everything you want to know about us. We'll have some news breaks and things like that as we release new things. And uh, come along, check us out. And don't forget, you get more of the Hitchcock Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. You can also visit the website, HitchcockMinute.com. Oh, and we're on social media. Come join us on Facebook, The Man on Washington's Nose. And then you can also find us on Twitter at Hitchcock Minute. So for all of us here at The Wilder Ride, we'll be back tomorrow for episode number five, where we continue Thornhill answering his secretary. She sure does like a bloodhound. And we will end minute number five with, yes, sir, replies Victor right this way. But you're going to have to find what all of that means by coming back tomorrow for a Friday edition of this, The Hitchcock Minute. I thought it was going to end with Walk This Way. I thought, oh, we're going to get a very familiar, a, a, a thinly disguised scene. reference. Unfortunately, 1974 comes after 1959. That's very disappointing. <sighs> but they filmed it in black and white, so it makes it feel like it's older. I know. I feel like I'm older. We are. You, you are. I am. You are. <laughs> you are. Uh, Maggie points with a pencil and says, oh, uh, well, we are talking, sorry, let's go back forward. Um, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It has to do with, like, isn't, didn't they used to have, like, a little flag yeah, for, um, for the keeping track of how many miles you've yeah. gone? So I don't know what he's talking about there. Uh, oh, okay. Now I know. So we'll, we'll skip all that.